help is not something that we're really taught to ask for. You know, Black women especially are just kind of taught to smile through the pain and work through the pain. I remember earlier on, you know, seeing one of those like drop-in therapists and, and immediately being like, nope, I'm good. Welcome to Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussions about race, racism, and racial justice. I'm Kira Milani. I'm joined tonight by Gloria Aladipo, a freelance journalist and student at Cornell University. She's here to discuss her experience reaching out for help with her mental health, the stigma surrounding mental illness, and how she dealt with receiving multiple misdiagnoses. Hi, Gloria. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So a few years ago, you sought help for your mental illnesses and ended up being misdiagnosed. Can you tell us a bit about what you were going through that led you to seek professional help to begin with? Yeah, um, I think that a lot of times mental distress is really normalized for women, uh, particularly mm -hmm. Black women. So for me specifically, I think the biggest sort of transition of going to college was something that kind of sparked up a lot of issues surrounding things like you know, depression, anxiety, eating issues, and kind of that string of mental illnesses and things that hadn't existed before then. Um, but I think that sort of the pressure and the sort of life change associated with going to college sort of can wrap things up in a way that's really unexpected. Uh, so I think that kind of is what led me to seek out more professional help. You know, I'd occasionally been thinking of going to therapy and I did a little bit, you know, in high school and stuff, but I had never really been able to see a therapist for like a long-term basis or get like legitimate diagnosis or, you know, use psychotropic medications and things like that. So I think that sort of going through the motions and the stress of like your early, your late teens, early twenties was really what kind of uh, pushed me towards getting more specialized mental health treatment and care. And you've written that, like it is for a lot of people, reaching out for help in the first place was a really hard thing for you to do. Yeah, you know, I think that help is not something that we're really taught to ask for. You know, I think especially, you know, Black women especially are just kind of taught to smile through the pain and work through the pain. And we're not really taught that, you know, taking time to rest and recuperate are, you know, normal things. There is this sort of like hustle culture that exists within college campuses, but specifically for students of color, you know, we have to work extremely hard uh, to get the same opportunities as our peers and also just to, you know, demonstrate our ability and be recognized. Um, so I really was focused more on being as competitive as a student. Um, so that kind of stopped me from getting help. But then also just this idea that, you know, mental health care is still not as popularized um, in America. And it wasn't popularized around my family during the time. So I never really thought about what it would look like to, you know, legitimately seek care in this way. I remember earlier on, you know, seeing one of those like drop-in therapists and her making that recommendation to like, maybe you should see someone more specialized in this and like see them more frequently and immediately being like, nope, I'm good. So there was that like, you know, that sort of like a caution and dismissal of my own needs. So you go in to see a psychiatrist and you end up receiving what we know now was a misdiagnosis. Did you accept that right off the bat? Or did you sense even then that there had been a mistake? I think that like, if I look, if I think about that time and also think about earlier on, didn't really accept it 
I was always, I was suspicious of it for a lot of reasons because I was one, just suspicious of like mental health care, but also two, mm. um, suspicious of, you know, white doctors. And like, I knew like the racial and historical legacy um, when it comes to diagnosing black patients. So it definitely wasn't something I accepted. Part of that lack of acceptance is definitely because what I was getting diagnosed with was definitely more stigmatized than something else. Like, I think that, mm. you know, I, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure it's like paranoid personality disorder or something like that something along something more in line with like the sort of like psychosis delusion and etc like side of mental health um and i mm. think that is much more stigmatized um than things like depression that have much more of a dialogue around them so i think those all together kind of like led me to be very unaccepting of that labelization I'm curious, you mentioned that you were just generally a bit skeptical about mental health care. Could you tell me a bit more about where that stemmed from? Yeah, I mean, so my parents are not people, I guess, who really grew up with the language of mental health, and especially in the sort of more like clinical terms. So like things like therapy or like psychotropic medications um, are not things that are very common they're both from immigrants from Nigeria um and they're born in like the mid 60s so you know like just growing up and like the time they come from these are not things that like were very popularized or thought about and experiences I had with mental health care were definitely what kind of ushered in these conversations in my family but especially earlier on in that process it wasn't something that you know was discussed or like normalized among my parents I think that's what kind of accounted for that initial rejection of mental health care on my part or like skepticism on my part. So after that first diagnosis, how long did it take you to get properly, correctly diagnosed? You know, it took a while. If I think just solely in terms of like my college experience, it took like a couple months between like the beginning slash mid part of first semester to the very end. So that took at least like three months maybe. But even thinking like earlier on in like mid high school, sort of when like I was first starting out, that was like years of, you know, my life where I wasn't being given the proper diagnosis of like, you know, an eating disorder and like OCD, which are probably like what I primarily identify as. I think that there's not a lot of understanding about how those symptoms present in the sort of non-clinical standard model. But again, like, you know, I think there also is a sort of not understanding of how these, you know, symptoms and diagnosis experiences present within like Black people. So that, you know, when I think about the ways in which like racist diagnosis happened, I definitely think back to that time. I mean, I think the college experience was also a part of that. But I definitely think back to like the first time trying to like become tr- become treated within this like mental health system and like getting diagnosis that just didn't account for other symptoms I was experiencing. So in those early days, or I could even say early years, I guess, of trying to get help, were you seeing primarily white professionals or do you have an opportunity to meet with and be evaluated by psychiatrists of color? No. So I was seeing white professionals and I only saw one, the only person, the only, I've only, I think I've seen like a couple of therapists of color because of the calls I go to. But when I got the most accurate diagnosis was when I had a therapist of color but no, like earlier on in like high school, I was only seeing white, 
clinicians. So, and I guess giving them the benefit of the doubt, there also probably was, you know, a lack of, you know, divulging on my part and like talking about what I was truly experiencing. But that sort of discomfort only comes from, you know, constantly seeing like white clinicians who may not fully understand your experience anyways. So again, I think, I think that it does come down to, you know, a level of just not feeling comfortable because of who's treating you. But then also like, I think the biases that also emerge within mental health care practice that white clinicians and just clinicians in general. Do you think that race played a role in identifying or not identifying your eating disorder and OCD? Yeah, I think that race definitely played a role, both for myself, but also for them as, di- as you know, people trying to diagnose and provide a treatment plan for me. You know, I think that, especially eating disorders, and I think there's definitely more headway within the recovery world coming from this, but eating disorders, especially when I was growing up, and, I, and before that, obviously, but, you know, especially, they were thought, they were thought of as these mental illnesses that were, you know, that, you know, usually white women or girls experience, even though now we know that, like, obviously anyone can go through them. And typically people who are non-white, um, people who are, like, not women and people who are not straight and cis tend to have them more often, um, but just don't get treatment as often. Um, in terms of OCD, like, OCD representation is still something that I think the mental health world has not completely cracked yet. Because, again, like, I, I think that there's not a huge push I don't think people really understand how damaging it is to sort of have that limited representation within things like OCD because I think that because eating disorders can come off as a disorders of like aesthetic and you know so like you know trying when you're trying to break down who has an eating disorder I think representation becomes a little more clear as to why it's important there because you want people to be seen so they can get help and recognize that like you know these sort of illnesses are something that everyone experiences but for something like OCD that is like less that isn't as you know tied to things like appearance or you know quote-unquote vanity as some people call it that understanding of why representation is still important in that sense isn't as clear so I think that we're still kind of struggling to figure out exactly like why it's important that you know people who are experiencing disturbing mental health symptoms see themselves see themselves represented so that was on my part you know I didn't really recognize I think plus for the English order but specifically for OCD I'd never met another black person that struggled with it specifically um and not that I think OCD is necessarily branded in that way as like a disorder that only white people can have but just isn't branded in a way that I think makes it seem accessible to everyone but I think for most especially especially when it comes to eating disorders because of how they're still diagnosed based on weight criteria still seen as an illness that is something that someone like a very emaciated again like white women or girls go through so I think that race played a huge role and I think race and gender both you know reading the, the lens them together played a really big role in kind of limiting the way that I saw myself experiencing those things but also clinicians saw myself experiencing those things. What do you think can be done to get people, especially communities of color, more comfortable with the idea of talking about mental health? That's a great question. And, you know, just this is always a disclaimer I give that I can only speak for, like, what would make me more comfortable and, you know, what I've heard from friends and stuff. So this obviously is not, like, covering, like, all communities because, you know, there is discrepancies among many. But um, I think for just for myself and just what I've heard from my friends, it's been really helpful to, like, hear about the different journeys that we've each gone through to access mental health care I mean, kind of building that network to understand that it's not just something that like one of us experiences, 
it's not like an experience that ostracizes us in any way, but something, that, something that's very common among us and, you know, helping us all as a, a community of mostly like black women, helping us understand that like what we're going through is common, but also something that's very treatable and something that we can like lean on each other to like go through when we're, when we're dealing with the thoroughs of it. Something else that I think is really helpful is kind of establishing different networks to like get information about you know what clinicians are helpful so I always like to go to clinicians that look like me and I think may have a better understanding of what I'm going through in a sort of positionality sense so I have found that I connect a little bit better with you know therapists of color and, and black therapists as well but you know I think it's also helpful to know like even if there, if there is literally no option to see a black psychiatrist or a psychiatrist of color or, you know, you know, mental health clinicians that are not, that are not white, like, you know, which white ones are more likely to listen and more likely to like be helpful in that sense. So I think that's also really helpful, like establishing a network and being able to like communicate that information to each other. So I think something else, something else I think is helpful is kind of being able to in addition to like building a network where you discuss being uh, dealing with mental health issues and also, you know, clinicians that are going to be supportive of you. I also think just being in community with people that experience what you're going through is really important. You know, I think things like racism and discrimination um, obviously have a mental health toll and there aren't a lot of spaces where we're given opportunities to kind of divulge into like what that feels like and what that looks like. So I think it's really important that, you know, like, especially, I mean, especially for me as a Black woman, like, I really rely on my kind of social networks as a space to vent about things and a space to, like, be transparent about what I'm experiencing. So I think that creating those networks are also really important. And then finally, I think that, you know, and this is obviously something that's very varying for people, so not everyone's comfortable about it. But I found a lot of, you know, peace in writing about my, writing about my own experiences and sharing what I was going through, not only because that gave me a personal freedom to talk about uh, how I felt, but also because it kind of brought other people who are going through similar things together. Like, you know, I get, I got a lot of emails about some of the articles I've written um, and how people have connected with them. And it just makes me like feel, you know, happy that I'm able to, that one, I'm not alone in this experience, but also to the fact that like other people are able to see themselves in it as well. So I think it's important to kind of like, again, I think connection is kind of the key to all of this. So being able to connect with other people um, people who are going through what you're going through and connect over information, um, I think is kind of central and really important. What changes do you think should be made within the mental health community in general so that mental health professionals are able to properly diagnose and recognize signs in everyone? Oh, that's a big question. Um, in terms of changes that I think should be made so that mental health professionals can better diagnose and recognize signs in everyone. I think it starts at a lot of different levels. Um, I think one is, you know, there's obviously a component in, you know, medical school that sort of presents these mental health conditions as things that are white people, that are limited to white people experiencing them. And I, you know, from what I've been told about medical school, cause I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but from what I've been told, um, and as this information becomes more to light, like, you know, it's presented in a way where like, it's not told like, oh, only white women get eating disorders, but when the dis unit on eating disorders come up, it's like white women are like the sort of like uh, photos that are being used versus like having photos 
that are seen of everyone. So I think that like, you know, medical schools that are training the next sort of, you know, generation of doctors and mental health clinicians and, you know, et cetera, because doctors also have a role in diagnosing these things and catching these things early, um, have a real responsibility to make sure that they're presenting information um, that shows that mental health conditions can happen equal opportunity and are actually more likely to happen among, you know, marginalized communities. Um, I think that it's really important that nonprofits that specialize in mental health conditions. So I think I'm thinking particularly of the National Eating Disorder Association, also known as NIDA. They just had a, an awareness week last week. Um, really, you know, figure out as an organization how they can prioritize um, marginalized voices, you know. So I think specifically for them, like it would include things like figuring out are we bringing in people into the organization that are going to prioritize treatment for black and brown and other marginalized communities or you know are we bringing in donors that are going to prioritize and think about how their money can be used to better foster inclusivity within the eating disorder research community and treatment community versus making it more exclusive and more focused on you know the same kind of thin white bodies that we've seen before um, so questions like that, I think, are really important for nonprofits to think about because I think it's really easy to kind of like make it one's goal to raise awareness of a mental health condition. But if you're only raising awareness of said mental health condition for like white people who already have that awareness, like how much work are you actually doing to make it a much more equitable and inclusive diagnosis and treatment tool? I think something else, I think for treatment centers, because I've experienced a couple it's really important that, you know, you create an environment. And this is, this is something that I've been thinking and writing about as I kind of launch into other writing projects is kind of like, it's really important for treatment places to create an environment where like marginalized people feel welcome. And just specifically thinking about black and brown people, um, it's like important that, you know, you have clinicians that represent us and that like look like us and that we can kind of like, you know, see like ourselves represented in, you know, so I know like, especially in eating disorder treatment centers, there is a very, very big issue with like diversity, which, you know, is, is like helpful. And there's more to it than just like having black or brown people there, but there is a big issue with having that level of like inclusivity and having clinicians who like understand our experiences. You know, like when I was going through treatment, I would constantly be like sending the therapist I was working with like articles I had written to try and like explain and like verbalize my experience and that's, that's like extra work that like other white people aren't doing so I just think it's like important that you know treatment centers work intentionally to create that environment where people who are paying to get help don't have to go through and like work so hard to be seen in that way um there are plenty of other things you know but I think that those are all kind of things I know that should happen systematically as much interpersonal progress that can be made between like us talking about these things it's really important that the people who you know, have that kind of like institutional power that's cultural and financial and medical, you know, do the work to make these environments more inclusive. That was Gloria Aladapo discussing her experience with mental health, the stigma surrounding mental illness, and her opinions on the mental health care system. Our music today is courtesy of bensound.com. This has been Community Dialogues. I'm Kira Milani. Thanks for listening in.